Hello and welcome to the Minnesota Family Law Podcast, the podcast by, with, for, and about family law professionals. My name is Tom Tuft and I'm a family law attorney and ADR provider at the law firm of Tuft, Locke, Jerebeck, and O'Connell. Before we get to our guest, I want to share my thoughts on where I think things are going at present. I serve on two court committees and in other roles I talk to judicial officers frequently. This is not based on any real inside scoop. I believe no decisions have been made and this is a moving target for everyone. Some of it is driven by the governor's decisions, some by CDC guidance, some by the availability and cost of certain technology, and some by the need to train judges and staff on this new technology. But here are my general thoughts. The courts want and are starting to move forward on motions and other court activity that can happen remotely. This is in part driven by the concern that the massive backload of criminal cases will cause other divisions, civil, probate, family, etc., to lose judicial officers to help cover criminal cases in the coming months. There is a general discussion around a possible moratorium on trials for at least six months to allow the system to catch up with the thousands of cases statewide that have been filed since March 20th, 2020, and were essentially put on hold under the statewide order. For example, Ramsey County Family Division had 314 cases filed from March 20th to about April 20th. Those cases have been assigned but not touched during that time period. There were another approximately 360 cases that were fairly active and put on hold as of March 20th. That is nearly 700 cases for the seven judicial officers. And if our judges are taken away to cover criminal matters, that would mean four judicial officers. My personal observation is that if there's a moratorium on trials and then the dam breaks on the criminal backlog, the delay in family court trials and perhaps even motion hearings could be very significant, absent a significant investment by the state of Minnesota in additional judicial officers. I know that sounds bleak, but on the positive side, things are starting to move that could not have moved before. For example, in two, until last week, it was logistically challenging, if not impossible, to handle telephonic motion hearings. I understand there were 32 bridge lines for the entire state court system until last week. That made sense when it was largely used for internal telephone conferences for court committees. That has changed, and many, if not all, judges now have access to a bridge line. This allows on-the-record hearings so that the judge, the clerk, court reporter, parties, and counsel could all be on the hearing uh, on the phone line at the same time. Another option is for judges to decide matters on the written submissions without hearing. This would take agreement of counsel or self-represented litigants. For self-represented litigants to give up that right to be heard uh, raises due process concerns and it does further challenge the system. There's also a lot of discussion around video. There is long been a video option in the court system via the court's ITV system, but under that system all parties had to be at an ITV location, which were mostly in courthouses. With many judges, attorneys, and parties now at home, they are now moving to Zoom. I understand several states have already adopted Zoom hearings as an option. I've heard examples in Florida, Texas, and California. However, there have been problems with software security and data privacy issues. 
Privacy negotiations with Zoom have been an issue as part of Zoom's revenue was from harvesting data, or so I've heard. As to software security, Zoom is issuing patches weekly or more than weekly. And by the end of May, Zoom will have made a quantum leap in its encryption technology. A third concern is the heavy bandwidth of Zoom. The current internet service at the busier courthouses simply cannot handle having multiple Zoom sessions going at the same time. This is something to be, to be addressed, and that is why it appears that telephonic hearings are encouraged right now over video hearings. Of course, if the judicial officers are at their homes, the judicial officer's internet connection will be the issue, not the courthouse internet connection. I have heard that the second and fourth have Zoom licenses and are moving forward with a pilot program. Pilot judges are being trained over the next week if they have not already been trained. I anticipate having a family court referee from the 4th Judicial District on in the next week or so. Already, there have been hearings via Zoom where an attorney hosted. Now, that's not a good option as the Zoom host does have significant control over the session. I understand there have been two Zoom trials in Hennepin County where the parties have agreed to that approach. So again, this is based upon my participation and involvement and, and hearing from people and talking to people. I am aware of no specific decisions or pronouncements that have been made, but that's my informed speculation of where things are going. My guest today is a very talented young attorney, having been licensed for six years. In her brief career, she has clerked for two judges and has taken on a number of leadership roles, including as chair of the Hennepin County Bar Association Family Courts Committee. She works with me at the law firm of Tuft, Locke, Jerebek, and O'Connell. I am so pleased to welcome Allie Connell. So, Allie, you're a, a younger attorney. Uh, you have previous experience as a law clerk. Uh, how are things going from your perspective? Well, I think um, they're going better than I expected under the circumstances. It's really nice to be able to have access to certain technologies to be able to connect with my clients in ways that you know, I normally wouldn't be able to over the telephone. Um, I'm utilizing Zoom a lot to be able to connect with my clients as much as I can face-to-face. I think the name of the game for me right now is what Mindy Mitnick talked about in her AFCC community chats, which is empathy. And I'm really trying to meet my clients where they're at right now since it's such an unprecedented time. I have clients that are fearful. I have clients that are okay. I have clients that are, you know, day to day, it's different. I'm just really trying to meet people where they're at. And I'm also trying to be empathetic, you know, with my opposing counsels, with the judicial officers and law clerks that are just sort of trying to get through this time as best they can. Um, I'm trying to show kindness wherever possible and try to kind of create solutions together to problems that are coming up during this time. I've had really good experiences with opposing counsels and mediators, um, you know, creating solutions for families during this time. And I think that everyone is really doing a good job of working together to create solutions for families. Yeah, I, uh, I found it interesting. Um, everyone has talked about Zoom and it's been, you know, 95% positive, but it's the it's exhausting, and uh, Margot Sefker actually posted an article on Facebook uh, about uh, Zoom exhaustion, which I uh, 
found really helpful and had had some tips. So I'm going to um, adopt some of that. Uh, Definitely. What? Definitely. I'm feeling the same, you know, that I'm an extrovert. So that person to person interaction does provide me energy. And I don't feel like I'm getting the same energy using, you know, the technology we have. Um, and it is exhausting, especially, you know, I like going into the office. I like having my space there. Working at home has been a challenge with productivity and interruptions, etc. cetera. Um, but, you know, we're all doing our best. So I think people are just being so much more lenient and understanding, which is really nice. Yeah, I had a client send me a crabby email um, yesterday, and uh, then he came back and was very apologetic and nice, you know, nice guy mm-hmm. and, you know, stuff that, you know, we, we deal with all the time. Clients get upset with us and, um, you got to kind of just roll with it. Um, but he was just, you know, apologetic in a way that, uh, you know, might not have happened, uh, in, in different times. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, so you're a former law clerk. Um, you know, I've never had that role. Uh, what, um, what kind of things as a law clerk would you have been thinking during this time? Yeah. So um, what what's interesting about my time as a law clerk is I worked for two different judges that were fairly different in their approaches to being on the family court bench. But as a law clerk, I think I would be thinking, how can I move cases forward as best I can with also following the executive order and orders from the Supreme Court? And I think what I'm doing as an attorney, knowing what I would want as a law clerk is on my cases, when I need to move something forward or I need to contact the court, I'm contacting those law clerks to see what I can do, what the judges prefer, because it's widely different between the counties and even within the counties between the judicial officers. And so I think leaning on those law clerks, asking them their preferences, maybe what what they want you to do in certain situations, things like that. It's really helpful because then you can not only build a rapport with a law clerk who, you know, is doing a lot of work on your case and a lot of communication with the judge, maybe even writing your orders, you build the rapport with them, but then you're also understanding what the judge or referee would want in your case. And then sort of they, you can make solutions together on how to move your case forward. I thought I've, Finding, I've been finding that very helpful on my cases. Yeah, in fact, uh, I was just on a conference call with the the state committee that's dealing with the recovery of family court, and um, it's really interesting to hear. You know, the judge up in Roseau has very different concerns than the judges in the Twin Cities, um, and or Rochester, or whatever. They had, you know, different levels of backlog, different concerns. But then um, referee Stebbins uh, from Hennepin was on there, and he said he talked about the variety even within the fourth district or the fourth district family court bench. Um, so it makes sense that the law clerk would be the one that that helps you understand how the judge processes information and how we can best help him make make the right decision, <laughs> meaning the decision that right. Helps and our the client, law clerks but... and the judges, they and referees, they want to move these cases forward generally because. You know, we as law clerks, you get reports every week, or at least in Hennepin County, we got reports every week to show where our cases were, how long they've been pending. And generally, you want to get your cases through within a year, a new divorce. And so there are some pressures and time pressures that law clerks and 
judges have, which I'm sure are going to be more lenient during this time, but I think they want to move cases forward as much as the attorneys do generally. And so I think reaching out and asking, you know, some judges, they don't, they're not hearing anything right now, but they'll do something by written submissions. They'll do a telephone call. Um, they'll, they're more open, I think, to moving cases forward in more creative ways. But sometimes the judicial officers, they won't maybe be the entity that reaches out. It has to be on the attorneys to do that. That's interesting. It's nice to hear that that's perhaps welcome um, mm-hmm. in appropriate circumstances. Uh, I know I, I did hear that from Referee Stebbins again in this meeting that um, they've done two, in the 4th District, has done two trials via Zoom uh, thus far. Um, so they're seriously trying to move their cases ahead. They're doing a ton of you know telephone hearings and things like that. So um, I know Ramsey uh, 2nd District is is about to ramp up and start rescheduling ICMCs and, and have things rolling. And maybe that's a week away, but um, yeah, I think, I, I think you're right on that, that they want and need to move these cases. So it's uh, important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then thinking about, again, that empathy for the clerks and judges who maybe are overwhelmed or will be scheduling things out. I think, as long as we're paid, I think we have to provide that realistic outlook to our clients so that we can be patient with the courts as they sort of try to navigate the backlog. Yeah, I know um, 314 cases at, at the last, as of last week, had been filed in the second district from March 20th wow. when the courts kind of stopped to the present. And plus there's a backlog of, you know, the, the per percolating cases before then of over 300 cases. So, you know, the, the second district has six to 700 cases that uh, those uh, seven judicial officers need to process and get, get on top of. And so they're really uh, problem solving around that. And uh, we're going to hear, hear more uh, in the next probably week or two about what the plan is. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was my word exactly, um, you know. And, and obviously, default hearings; those are the low hanging fruit. Maybe ICMCs can can ramp up quickly to get you know on top of the cases a little bit. But then there's those cases that are really need judicial attention, and there's not enough, you know, judicial attention to go around for all those cases. So it's it's going to be a it's going to be a challenge on that side. Um, making it a challenge on our side um, to move our move our clients forward in things. Yeah, and I think that's where we have to try really hard to get our clients to, you know, maybe use a PC, maybe do that reader program, maybe go to mediation more than maybe we would normally. Just really pushing to keep it out of keep only the really more emergent cases in court. Well, and we're recording this on Friday uh, at noon. Tanya Manrique, a retired judge, is going to present on uh, use of special masters, uh, which was a previously scheduled um, seminar by the AFCC, but now it's um, going to be, uh, re- you know, brought brought to the fore. And um, I'll be interested to hear what she has to say. But that's another tool uh, that we'll be able to use. And uh, definitely, when I put this actually process this to finalize I'll probably add some of some of the information she shares uh, to the to the podcast knowing that this is a pre-recorded interview <laughs> so. 
Yeah, and I think one of the things that I've been finding um, is a lot of cases that I've had are relating to enforcement or issues relating to PC appointment orders or special master appointment orders. And I think these processes are going to be very helpful. But I think another thing to be aware of as an attorney is be very careful with what language you are putting in your agreements because that is what your provider is going to be going off of and that you, your clients need to understand exactly what they're agreeing to and just putting in, you know, boilerplate language or language that you use on every case. It just may need to be tailored per case. That's something I've been learning lately more than ever is I'm being very careful with appointing special masters, appointing PCs, um, to be very specific in the language about what sort of authority they have and, you know, what kind of scope of review there's going to be if things go back to court, things of that nature. I think that's really important to be aware of because I've been seeing it bite people when they're not careful. Yeah. Well, and as someone who's in those roles, um, yeah. And, and very often I'll have people want to do things, me to do things that they wouldn't give me authority to do. And I have to say, well, that's that you know, that's not under my authority, or that's not my role. If I'm a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, p- parenting time expediter, that's a very limited role. Um, they really want me to do what a PC or a special master could do. So, uh, you you are absolutely right, and I think we're going to be using those resources far more in the future. So, um, is yeah, cautionary, <clears throat> excuse me, to to say the least, um, and. Thinking language around this, you know, this situation uh, that, you know, some people are planning for some form of us dealing with this for 18 months. I I understand some of the big companies in town are thinking, you know, they're going to have to manage their companies as if this is going to be with us for 18 months before before it it wanes. Um, And that's going to be a long time for families to work through this. So... Yeah. So we're almost at the end of our time. Any final thoughts or anything you want to share before we wrap up? No, I think, I think just keeping in mind that we're all coming from different perspectives. We're all struggling in different ways. Our opposing counsels, our judicial officers, law clerks, providers, that really showing kindness and empathy is so important, especially during this time. Um, and I think if we do that, we will have better solutions for our clients and our cases. And I think we'll be happier and more satisfied with our, you know, jobs as a whole. Well, thanks for that insight, Allie. And obviously, I look forward to seeing you back in the office in, in a few days. But uh, thank, thanks for your time and look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, Tom. I really enjoy hearing from so many different perspectives on how people are weathering the current storm. As I mentioned in the interview, I had hoped to share some information from Tanya Manrique's presentation to the AFCC on Special Masters. Unfortunately, I also have a day job, and I was not able to get on uh, the entire uh, Zoom meeting. If, However, if you are a member of the AFCC, I believe you can still get your hands on the written materials. In addition, I plan on speaking with uh, Tanya on this podcast about this as well. As always, I encourage you to, to subscribe on any of the main podcasting platforms. There is a lot of interesting stuff to come. 
For example, in tomorrow's episode, we will hear from President of the Family Law League, Attorney Chris Vatsis, about the role the Family Law League has played in keeping the bar informed, as well as their future efforts to support new attorneys. So, Family Law colleagues, I say thank you for listening, and I look forward to continuing these discussions. Now take care of yourselves and your family so you can take care of your clients and your business.